Welcome to this third podcast uh, specifically uh, for patients. Um, I'm joined again by uh, Anna and Imogen. And it's been, I mean, it's just been so good to talk these things through um, and, and, and and led to a lot of reflection, I think, you know, certainly for Imogen, who um, is, you know, it's so kind that you've joined us. But I think for Anna and I, it's been a real reflection on some of the things that maybe we do quite well, some of the things we don't do so well, um, and some of the things that actually we're still learning about and maybe that's part of the reason why we struggle to take the topics on and 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 in a way that's even more of a reason for us to be discussing them even if it's just to say we don't know exactly what the answer is yet but this is what we think you know this is what we're up to as of the sort of end of november 2023 so imogen let's just get going again go for it okay next on my list is support for family and friends and what what would you recommend for newly diagnosed patients so if I if I sort of start there Rick and then you can come in so I think this is so important I think you know um family and friends it needs to be led by you as the patient to know how much involvement you want them to have but they are understandably always really information thirsty they want to know what's going on where they can find more information they also have a whole host of feelings and emotions about what's going on that they don't necessarily always want to or feel they want to burden you as the patient with but they need to have support for so there are a number of different options so certainly I would actually say that information is the first place so I will always give um, my centre's got an immunotherapy leaflet um, that we've created for patients and I always give a second one to be giving to either your wife or your husband your partner um, or, or you know your family or your friends depending on who your support network is but I always say actually have two and then they can they can have a second one to have a read so I think sources of information are as important for families and friends as they are for and um, for the patient actually because they take different things away from them and they need it for different things and often what they want to know is how best to support you as the patient but they need that information as well so for me that's the first start a second thing is sometimes um they need to have further conversations so I always start with my clinical nurse specialist I'm very lucky and I think a lot of us are very lucky to have amazing clinical nurse uh, specialists that support our support our patients and us Um, so I always sort of say please do contact please get involved and actually sometimes I'll find that individuals and my patients are actually going through the process they're quite comfortable with what's going on and actually my CNSs end up supporting family members and friends more actually than they do the the patient themselves but that's absolutely fine and we can support together or we can support separately depending on what's needed then I think there is a huge amount of work going into um, support groups and charities that are specific to your um, cancer type so certainly for melanoma patients we know melanoma focus has got things like a helpline for patients families and friends but also a huge source of information so it's worth knowing what your cancer support groups look like because that they have got lots of information about the cancer but also increasingly about the, the the treatments that we use including immunotherapy and then there are um different charities that have that sort of are mainly focused on support so for me the two big ones in that situation are Macmillan but also actually Maggie so we have a, a Maggie centre and a lot of cancer centres have a Maggie centre and they are so both of these charities are phenomenal at support but they support in slightly different ways Macmillan tend to support in terms of information and support groups Maggie's tend to be places and centres that you can go to so they and again 
the different charities have different provision in different places. So worth knowing, and your CNSs will know where and what is available in your in your region. So certainly some centres have got Macmillan centres, some centres have got Maggie centres, but they're they're both amazing, and they will they will allow you know you to go and have a cup of tea and have a chat. And again, uh, relatives, families, friends, spouses, you know, I think there's a recognition that all of those people need support as well as the patient so I think you know that just ha- have a bit of a scoping exercise your your initial consultation there will be information about different support um and and it's and and we would really encourage that to be accessed actually it's there it's there for the taking and don't struggle in silence if you're a patient or a relative actually this is a hard time really really hard time and all of these support services exist to try and make it a little bit easier both in terms of the emotional support but also practical support things like um, benefits additional payments travel insurance can you travel all of those questions we may well touch on in a minute but that the support is there for those questions as well as um as well as the emotional side of things rick any any support that i haven't thought of i think i would just make two additional points uh one i guess is almost an apology so if we don't cover this it doesn't mean we don't think it's important it's often just that there's there's so much to do in the consultations so so i guess what i would say is if we haven't mentioned it it's not because we don't value it it's just because it's something that you know there's a lot to cover as you know as a patient i guess the two other things to say is that increasingly we've got psychology teams that work with our with our cancer centers and our wider teams and and so you know ask about that see if it's available and there's often again counseling teams and services that are aligned with with what we do so i think it's asked the question you know is there what kind of support is out there both for me and for my what you know wider support systems because i know it's something that i don't always cover but it's not because you know i'm a macmillan professional so i'm a massive advocate for what macmillan do but it's not something that i necessarily will always bring to the forefront Partly because, as you know, as a patient, it's often like a deer in the headlights. We're talking about the diagnosis. We're talking about treatment. We're talking about the potential side effects. And so it's almost that we don't get there in time. And so um, I I guess just a big ask to to remind us that we need to cover that stuff. I think the other thing, just just as I'm sitting here thinking about it, so often people will say to me, um, can I write down what you're saying? Because I've got a feedback to my family. or or can I record the consultation because I, I I've got to feed back to my family and my friends and I personally don't have a problem with that um but but obviously it's important to ask the question of your professional rather than rather than just recording them but I think that burden you, you know there's often that feeling of of burden of having to be the sort of the segue of information so you come as a patient to have a consultation then you go home and get bombarded with questions from all from all sides so actually normally your clinical team are more than happy to help with that whether that's I'll often, you know, I'll write down sort of the salient points for people to take home because they haven't got their letter immediately. Or if they want to record me having a conversation so that they can they can listen to it back, that's absolutely fine as well for me. But different people will feel differently about it. But I have that conversation with your clinical team so that you don't, as the patient, have to then take the, the burden of that information exchange back with you because I think that can be really overwhelming sometimes um, and you worry about getting it right or whether your interpretation is correct so you know talk to your talk to your clinical team talk to your nurses and doctors about about how you navigate that because often we can help with that and happy to um, but again we won't know to if um, if we don't have that conversation 
And that was really, really apparent in lockdown and during the COVID pandemic that when we were having as patients to attend clinic appointments on our own and then recount everything afterwards. But it's just so helpful to have all of those resources and, and to know about them because I'm, everyone's totally different. But I, I have to say that selfishly, not having to bring my parents, I love them dearly, but all of a sudden I got to ask my own questions. <laughs> I didn't waste the appointment asking someone else's questions. So it is really helpful to have somewhere else to signpost, I think, um, because obviously you want them to be involved and it's important for um, everything. So yeah, no, that's yeah. really helpful. Thank you. Um, with regards to work, so as you've mentioned in previous podcasts, immunotherapy treatment is often given over really long periods of time, sometimes years. Um, you know, and lots of people don't have indefinite sick leave, for example. Um, so how would you pace or how do I pace and stagger my sick leave when I'm on immunotherapy treatment? Yeah, no, great question. Maybe if I start with that one, Anna. So I think the first thing to say about work and treatment and diagnosis is this is really complex and so you know just the I've you know I've spoken to many patients along the way who've said just having the diagnosis and starting the treatment has made them reflect on their own priorities about you know is this the right job for them you know is this conducive with you know where they now are in the in their own lives and so I think just reassure that it's normal to be asking those kind of questions both of yourself and then asking your team for support you know, companies do have a responsibility to support you. Um, and and so I think, you know, a conversation with the work or or asking us to support with that is is really important. I, I think it's it really is quite an individual thing in terms of of what to advise, uh, you know, uh, around work. I think it's it's important to link in again with the specialist nurses who who can often you know who've gone these journeys and in particular that that side of the journey very often um to 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 ask their advice on what they would do i think in terms of staggering your your sick leave again it will come down a little bit to the company's policies a little bit to how you're coping with treatment but i and some people may decide not to go back to work at all, you know, and, and that that, you know, that happens as well. So so I think th this question is almost, you know, quite a complex area to cover off. What I would say is ask questions, both of your employer, both of your team to understand, as Anna said, the benefits that are available to. And it may be that actually you do want to go back to work and that's fine, too. So, by the way, some people go, actually, I need to go back to work. That keeps me, you know, that's a focus for me. It makes me feel better. And we will support that in, in any way we can. I think it's listen to your body. Listen to your clinical teams in terms of how it's likely to impact and also speak to your work team about how they can maybe make adaptions to what you do, what your role is, you know, what your working pattern is to make it more realistic and more sustainable. Um, Anna, anything you would add? I think the other the only other thing I would add is um, about the fact that sort of that conversation with work about the fact that this is likely to change over the course of your treatment. So there was likely to be time. So so absolutely agree that if, you know, some people it's not necessarily about having treatment, but just sort of how you are overall in that holistic sense. You know, some people are just not able to focus on work they're you know they've got low mood they're emotionally really finding it very difficult um, and, and work isn't the right right thing for them 
other people find that it it adds rhythm to their life and they want to carry on working or actually other people really love work and it's one of the things that brings them joy and they don't want to stop doing it so again it's very different for different people I completely agree with that but it's likely to change over the course of time so in terms of staggering it's it's difficult and there's not there really isn't a one-size-fits-all but I think it's worth your employer knowing from the outset that there will be periods of time when you're on treatment that you will be well and able to work there'll be periods of time where you are potentially unwell with side effects and not able to work you know some there may be times where that that sort of uh, variable sort of provision is is really key so for example patients that of mine that have had colitis very keen to work want to work from home because they'll be near a toilet and they'll be able to sort of manage that much more effectively some will just have that off sick some just don't want to so I think that reasonable adjustment conversation is important but for them to be aware of the fact that throughout treatment and probably for a period of time after it things will be quite changeable and and actually if you and the patients I think who find this people who find this the the easiest is that an employer that understands and, and they have a good working relationship so I think some people are very reluctant to tell their their employer that they've that they're unwell and that this is what's going on and don't get me wrong there'll be some people who just can't have that conversation for whatever reason but if you I would really encourage you to to see if you can because actually it just makes you feel much more supported it takes away that layer of stress if you know that they know that things are going to be quite variable and that there'll be times in your life where you can't come to work and times when you can um it really it really helps but certainly I've got a lot of people who are very motivated by getting back at work and it makes them feel like they're able to do the things that they would do normally while on treatment it just makes it all feel much less unusual time so so don't, don't feel you can't work but if you don't feel you can work then I'm sure certainly I we would always support our you know whichever way you feel about it but but it's likely to ebb and flow over the course of treatment. Great and I I, I remember Ricky saying to me maybe there's times as well like at the beginning when you're mm-hmm. first when you, you know when you it's all a bit unknown and then perhaps when you get used to the kind of routine of it then maybe you can pick things up when you're a bit more aware of how things feel. Fab. Um, so I bet you get this question all the time um, because for some people, cancer feels quite disempowering, I guess, to some extent. And people desperately want to try and find something that they can control in a really uncontrollable situation. Um, so is there anything that I can do to help myself whilst I'm on immunotherapy treatment? And likewise, is there anything that I should avoid, perhaps? Go on, Anna. That's a lovely question. Do you want to start with that one? So, yes, there are things you can do. And I think um, you're right. It's all about being empowered. But increasingly, we're, we're learning that actually things are probably quite helpful with immunotherapy. So a balanced diet is really helpful. Um, actually, keeping a, a, a good amount of dietary iron and vitamins actually makes a, a potentially a difference. We know a lot of people get iron deplete, B12 folate deplete while they're on treatment. So actually a balanced diet with lots of nutrients in it is important. Um, there's also uh, the the sort of exercise side of things. Increasingly, it is suggested that exercise can be really helpful when you're on treatment. Um, and actually, it also stops you getting deconditioned if you do get side effects, because it's obviously when you're unwell with side effects, the, the desire to go out and, you know, 
walk around and do stuff is actually quite low but trying to keep active actually really helps it helps your um, mindset it helps your well-being emotionally but also physiologically it's really helpful so um, there are some places around the country that are actually doing sort of rehab prehab perihab programs where actually you get you do exercise alongside your treatment but if you don't Macmillan have got a phenomenal leaflet about keeping active during during cancer treatment that's really helpful and really worth a read that any of your cancer centres will be able to provide you with Um, and that just helps you sort of stay stay active in terms of avoiding things I would say I would avoid any abnormal or radical diets um, and actually there's a really good there's a Na- national association of dietitians website um, that helps just myth bust a little bit because there's lots of things flying around um, pe- you know particularly on google about different uh, diets that you different things to avoid actually it's an incredibly helpful um, website that helps sort of understand what what is truly helpful and what can be um, less helpful um, in terms of things like alcohol, you can drink on immunotherapy. Um, there are two two sort of things I would normally stick to. One is in moderation always, um, but also if you've got if you're having a side effect and your liver's inflamed, at that point I do suggest people avoid alcohol. So, but most of the time it's actually fine as long as it's in moderation. The other thing I get asked about an awful lot is about cannabis oil, and I think it's one of those things we should talk about here. It's a bit controversial, but I think it's important, particularly if you can now buy it in Holland and Barrett and get it put in various different water. Um, so it's sort of everywhere. So there is a small amount um, of evidence that suggests that cannabis oil can suppress your immune system. Um, and there have been some small papers that have been presented at conferences recently that suggest that actually people get less good responses to immunotherapy if they're on cannabis oil so it's one of the things I suggest in this setting that people try and avoid because actually we don't know and we haven't got enough information to be sure but there is sort of the beginnings of something that suggests it's not the greatest thing to do while you're on immunotherapy so those are my thoughts about sort of lifestyle Rick have you got anything any other thoughts? No I, I agree Anna I, I think it's you know the diet thing is changing it's growing i think you know like you say varied diets i think is important you know i think you know high fiber there's some data coming through that suggests that 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 may well be a positive thing but i i do completely reiterate that you know these diets that say you know completely exclude sugar or do something dramatic i'm not an advocate of i think it's it's eating well eating healthily exercising if you can it's it's all the things that we really should be doing anyway um and actually you know but you know in reality we all know we've got busy lives and maybe we don't do it as well as we should so uh, i think that's really important i think again that the cannabis thing is really important cbd oil and often it's something that patients won't tell you or i they'll tell the 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 you know the treatment nurse when they see them or they'll tell the cns in passing um and so again just really important that we that we have that conversation and that patients um are aware of that imogen maybe one more question in this session okay. uh, to finish okay one more um so can i take all my regular medications whilst i'm on immunotherapy treatment so Generally speaking, you absolutely can. Yes. So we we do know that if you if you start some new medications whilst you're on immunotherapy, that's not also not a problem. But it's worth us being aware of because sometimes if you get, um, you know, some people get allergies to their medications, they get skin rashes and things. So if you um, have 
have started a new medication and get a skin rash, there's often this question of, is it immunotherapy? Is it related to a new medication? So you can um, take all your regular medications by and large, but it's worth just checking. And obviously at your first consultation, um, you'll be asked about all the medications you take. And if you haven't had your first consultation yet, just so you know, that will be part of it. And um, they'll go through what, what, what other medical problems you've got and also what medication you take. So we will be able to check that they're all okay but generally speaking very little interacts with immunotherapy the one thing that I always say which is not medication per se but actually thinking about um dyeing your hair so um you don't tend to lose your hair on immunotherapy some people can get a bit of hair thinning but it does quite often go gray or white and it can also your eyelashes and your eyebrows can also go white um so people ask me a lot about whether they can dye their hair you can but there is theoretically particularly a slightly increased risk of reaction to hair dye. So I always say, even if you've been dyeing your hair with your hair, the same hair dye for the last, you know, however many years, make sure you do a proper thorough patch test before every time you dye your hair, just to make sure you haven't developed a hypersensitivity to it that you didn't have before. Um, so medications, yes. Tell us if you're starting anything new. If you get some side effects, we'll ask you if you've started anything new. And, um, and I always just a little bit of caution around hair dye, but you can theoretically use it. And antibiotics, is that something? So antibiotics is interesting. So we we know that there is an increasing amount of um, chatter and, and information that suggests that antibiotics are um, something we have to be a little bit careful with in, in immunotherapy. But if you are unwell and you require an antibiotic, it's absolutely fine to take those antibiotics. What we're trying to do over time is just be making sure that you definitely do need them. And also that we're using what we call a narrow spectrum antibiotic. So if we're treating a waterworks infection, a urinary tract infection, that we're using the antibiotic that will specifically treat that rather than just a broad antibiotic that will treat anything. So that's really on our side, making sure that we're using them appropriately and using the right one. But if you are recommended to use an antibiotic, then yes, it's fine to go ahead and use them. Yeah, and, and I guess just to say about the antibiotics, so I, you know, two things I would say is that's really for us to be worrying about. It's right for you to ask the question, but it's for us to worry about. And, and the data that we've got, which is still evolving, by the way, is primarily earlier in the journey. So just before starting treatment, just after starting treatment. But absolutely, if someone needs antibiotics, they need antibiotics. And so, um, so we shouldn't be avoiding antibiotics. We should just be using them in the way that they were meant, which is using them when you've got an infection or you suspect an infection that, that's going to cause a problem otherwise. So, team, let's bring this one to a close. Uh, we will pick up, I think this is going to end up being five or six podcasts in total. <laughs> We're now three in. Um, and, um, and I just again want to say a massive thank you, uh, obviously to Anna, but you know, more importantly here to Imogen, who's been Absolutely. asking, you know, wonderful questions. Um, and we look forward to seeing you all again on the next podcast. Fab. Thanks both. See ya. Fab, great. Okay.